Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a songwriter, a photographer, an entrepreneur, and author with four decades of experience writing over 120 songs and creating 14 hours of soothing, relaxing, instrumental piano music. And his songwriting began with the non-popular standard Rachel song. And his soothing, relaxing music has been played millions of times worldwide on radio, satellite, and all internet streaming media. And it continues to touch the lives of millions of people all over the world. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel Song Can Change Your Life. And he's also been able to build a successful business with, ad, with virtually no advertising. And he's created a worldwide following, generating over 50,000 personal notes and letters of support for his music. So let's welcome Dave Combs. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing great, Victor. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, wonderful to have you on. And Dave, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you first uh, you know, get started in becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I guess I have to go way back a lot earlier than maybe some of your guests. Uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, I came from a, a part of East Tennessee. We didn't have a whole lot of money. And my, my mother was trying to raise me and my brother uh, single-handedly. And so one of the things that I always wanted to do was to try to supplement her uh, income, what little it was. And so I would find odd jobs. I had a paper route, for example. I, I don't, probably a lot of entrepreneurs start out and they're, they're striving as a paper, you know, a paper boy or whatever. And, uh, and I remember in the, when I was in the sixth grade uh, as a, I think it was a Boy Scout merit badge project, I had decided to plant some potatoes on our one acre of property and grow potatoes and sell them to my elementary school. So I raised a half an acre of the most beautiful potato plants you've ever seen, dug them myself and, and sold them by the bushel, I think at $5 a bushel, which was a lot of money back then. And so I fed my elementary school potatoes for I don't know how many weeks or whatever. So that was kind of the beginning of this seed. I would call it a seed of entrepreneurship. You know, it's entrepreneurship is really kind of an attitude. It's one where you, you want to, to basically be self-sufficient and not depending on somebody else all the time for your livelihood. Well, that was kind of ingrained in me from that very early beginning. And so I and scraped around and got, uh, thanks to a scholarship from the Kiwanis Club, I got to go to college, got my math degree in physics minor, and uh, started my career out in technology. I was a computer programmer early on in the, in the late 60s and uh, started out with technology with a company called Western Electric, and which later became AT&T. And so that was my technical side of my job because I, I needed to have a good paying salary. And, but all along, I still had this underpinning of desire to have some other side hustle or something to eventually lead to something that would be a, a self-supporting kind of venture. I had no idea what it would be. And it was only after I'd been 
working for, I was age 33 and a half when I first wrote my first song. So that you can imagine, you know, going from college to 33 and it's something that that's, you know, about 10 or 12 years. And suddenly I have this, my music has been my, my avocation all my life. I've been around music with my parents and the community, everything. And so in January of 1981, I sat down at my piano and I played this song. Now, I didn't sit down to write a song. I just sat down and played it. You may have heard stories like this before where inspiration doesn't come in predictable chunks. You just sit down and it, it came. And so I played this song and it was beautiful song and I didn't even think I was writing a song. I just played it. It sounded really good. My wife came home from work from her job a couple of days later and says, Dave, what's this song that I've been humming in my head all day long? <laughs> and she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, Linda, it doesn't doesn't have a name. She said, what? You play it on the piano all the time. I said, well, it's just something I made up. Well, that was the beginning of a realization that I had written the song, actually. And so she said, well, you better write it down. Something might happen to you and that song would be gone. So I did wrote it down on a piece of paper. We tried to think of a name for it. Nothing ever fit. A couple of years later, some good friends of ours have a little baby girl and her name is Rachel. And they asked me and Linda to be her godparents. And it was at Rachel's christening service. Linda and I were sitting there with just us and the family and the minister in this little church on a Saturday. And up at the front of the church, there happened to be a grand piano at the, right in the middle of the platform. At the end of the formal part of the service, I punched Linda and I said, hey, what about me playing that little song now as part of this service? She said, oh, that's a great idea. So I went and asked the family and the minister if that'd be all right. Walked up to the piano, sat down and played this song. And when I finished playing the song, I looked over to little Rachel in the arms of her mother and said, OK, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's song in her honor. And that's how the song got its name. And it was just it just was the perfect fit. And uh, that was the beginning of a trajectory with my music that would take me to an unbelievable destination. Wow. No, thanks for sharing that. So basically. <clears throat> Since you were a kid, you always did some entrepreneurial things because you wanted to help out your mother. She was raising you guys by herself and have a lot of money. You wanted to help supplement her income. You were doing odd jobs, doing a paper route. And I love the fact you grew and sold your old potatoes by the bushel. You sold it to your classmates. I thought that was wonderful. I think that's great. And uh, and like you say, entrepreneurship is an attitude. Yeah, you want to be self-sufficient and not to be dependent on other people, other you know entities. And... <laughs> But you immediately, when you, you know, you got a scholarship, you went to college, but you didn't start off doing entrepreneurial. So you, you, you did technology, you did computer program, you worked for Western Electric, which later became AT&T. And you did that for a bunch of years, but you always wanted, you know, you always interested to, to be self-sufficient. And then around the age of 33 and a half, you wrote your first song and uh, you were humming it, but you didn't have a title for it. And uh, your wife heard you humming it and she asked you about it. And she said, you better give it a name. So, uh, so you, you you wrote down the song, and it was it was another two years. You went to the christening. Uh, you you and your wife were the godparents to uh, your friend's daughter Rachel, and you decided to play the song on the grand piano. 
And and afterwards, you decided you looked at it. You decided to call Rachel. Something. Everything just went on from there. So, um, so now you were getting into music. So how how soon was it before you made music your full time profession? Because you know you worked you know in technology and programming for like you know over ten plus years. So how much longer did you continue doing the technology stuff before you gave way to your real passion? Well, after the naming of the song. Three years later, I was doing some business travel with AT&T, and one of the places that I was traveling to was Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, as you know, Nashville is a music city, USA. And so Linda said, well, Dave, while you're in Nashville, why don't you find a studio and a musician and get a demo recording made of Rachel's song, something we could have that would really sound professional and, and we could give a copy to Rachel and her family. And so I said, okay. So I said, I'll do that. So one evening after work, I jumped in my rental car and I drove into downtown Nashville looking for a studio. And I drove down a part of town they called Music Square. Or the, everything in there is related to music. The Country Music Hall of Fame is there, the RCA studios, you know, everything music's right there. So I found a street that was called Roy Acuff Place. Roy Acuff was a famous Nashville musician. Everybody loved Roy Acuff. And at the end of Roy Acuff Place was a building that looked like it had a, a barn-shaped roof. And on the corner of the street was a, a water wheel, you know, one they'd moved actually from an old mill. And the, si the sign on the side of the, the building said, the music mill. And I thought, well, that's clever. So I pulled in the parking lot, and sure enough, there was a glass door, and I could see a man sitting at a desk. And so I knocked on the door and he came and uh, opened the door and locked it and, and said, uh, hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? And I said, well, I'm Dave Combs and I'm looking for a studio. And about the time I got the words out of my mouth, he said, well, come on in. And I looked around this big lobby room and on the left was a giant size, life size photo of Glenn Campbell. Here was a big panorama photo of the group Alabama. And then there were some more pictures and gold records and platinum records all over the place. So I knew I had probably landed in the right place. <laughs> and I told George, I, I've never been in a studio, George. He said, well, you're in luck. There's nobody recording right now. It's six o'clock. Normally there's somebody here, but not tonight. Let me take you on a tour of Studio A, the big studio. I said, okay. So we went into this big studio with the music room in there. And it was a big hall that you could put a you could put a symphony orchestra in there really and then had a grand piano over in the corner and all kinds of stuff and then you, he said let's go into the control room and so he opened this big thick soundproof door it's about six inches thick and we go in there and the first thing i see is this console and i know you've seen these recording consoles they're big long with lots of sliders and and knobs and switches and everything. I'd never seen one like that, but it was like 32 tracks worth of recording capability. I said, wow, how much does a place like this cost to rent, George? And he says, well, this place costs $125 an hour plus engineer. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. And you know, remember, this was 1986. Now, within, if you roll back to $1986, 125 an hour was a lot of money back then. And so I, I, I know I looked disappointed and George says, well, don't worry. He said, the man who owns this studio owns a tiny little studio across the street 
and it's $15 an hour plus engineer. <laughs> okay, George, that's more my speed. So now all I need, George, is somebody that's a great piano player to play my little song. And uh, who, who would you recommend? And he thought for a second. He says, I know just who you could use. His name is Gary Prim. Gary and I have known each other forever. We go to church together, and he's a great piano player. Everybody loves Gary Prim. I said, great. So he said, let's go back to my desk, and I'll look his phone number up for you. So he did, wrote it down on a piece of paper, and gave it to me. So I took that note with the phone number, and I hightailed it back to the hotel so I could place a phone call to Gary Prim. Now, some of your listeners said, well, why didn't you call him on your cell phone? <clears throat> this was 1986. Cell phones hadn't even been invented. The internet didn't exist. Google didn't exist. I had to get to a landline to call Gary, which I did and got his answering machine. He called me back in a little bit and we made an arrangement for me to send him the song and uh, meet at this little tiny studio in a couple of weeks to record this song. So here again is this, uh, the, the seeds of things that li start lining up in your life. You know, you have to take some action and you don't know where it's going to lead until you take some action. So in a couple of weeks later, I meet Gary Prim at this tiny little studio across the street from the music mill. And we go in there. Gary sets up his synthesizer and he plays the piano and he, he plays my song. Now, I have never heard my song played by anybody else but me up to that point. So that was one of those really special events in my life to hear my creation made sound so spectacular by a professional musician. So in about 45 minutes, Gary had this, this, the song that I wrote sounding like a million dollars. And so I paid him, he, he left and I took my cassette tape and I headed back to the hotel and man was I excited. I had to play that recording for everybody I could corner for five minutes and let them listen to it. And it, it, the song really did take on a life of its own. Everybody I played it for were just blown away with it. And so the, the song actually kind of took on a life of its own at that point. Um, I, I think if, if, if I hadn't done anything with it, the song itself would have just took off on its own. But it, I got it played on the radio, and everybody that heard it on the radio loved it. And it got to be the number one requested song in I don't know how many markets. It was Los Angeles and Chicago and St. Louis and Atlanta, Baltimore, all over the country. And it, number one requested song in Australia, of all places. And so the song really took off. And that's when then the entrepreneurial side of it began to kick in even more because I knew the demand for the, for the music was there. Well, like any entrepreneur, you've got, it's great to have a product that everybody wants, but you've got to figure out how do you get it to them? How do you expose them to the product? And so that began, began the, uh, my mission to figure out how can I get my music available so that people that hear it can purchase it. So to turn it, you know, basically to monetize the, the, the music. Well, I got absolutely nowhere with the big box stores. You know, the uh, Tower Records and um, I think it was Record Bar were the big records. We had record stores back then. They don't have them anymore, but back then we did. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. They'd never heard of Dave Combs. They didn't, easy listening music wasn't exactly their thing anyway. And so I got nowhere with 
trying to promote my music through the standard way of selling my music. And it was only through the good fortune of my lady that I worked with at AT&T, her office was right next to mine, and she loved Rachel's song, and she said, Dave, I have a friend in Old Town Alexandria named Jane that owns a gift shop, and she plays music in there. It's patriotic music. The name of the shop is called America, and so she said, I'd love to give her a CD of Rachel's song. I said, okay, so I gave her a CD to give to her, and I didn't think much about it. And then a couple of days later, Victor, my phone rings, and it's Jane from the gift shop. And she says, Mr. Combs, uh, uh, I've got your CD of Rachel's song, and every time I play it in my shop, every customer in my store wants to buy a copy to take home with them, and I don't have one for sale. Can we solve this problem? I said, well, yes, ma'am. I, <laughs> I've got my MBA from Wake Forest University. I know a business opportunity when I see it, so... I said, okay, I can do that. So she said, bring me some. Can you bring them to me tonight? I said, yes, ma'am, we sure can. Linda and I boxed up a box of CDs and cassette tapes and drove down to Old Town Alexandria that night and gave them to Jane for her to offer to her customers. And I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. See how this works out. Two days later, the phone rings again, Victor, and gets Jane again. <laughs> she says, Dave, I got a problem. <laughs> All those CDs and cassette tapes are gone. And you got to remember me some, how about doubling the order this time? So we did box them up, took them down to her. Linda and I made that trip from home and we were living in uh, Potomac, Maryland at the time. So we would drive down to Old Town Alexandria every week, every week taking her boxes of tapes and CDs. Jane sold over a thousand CDs and tapes out of that one little gift shop with just one album. I didn't have a whole bunch of albums like I do now, but it was just that one album of, of Rachel's song. And so here is where my entrepreneurial analytics kicked in. I created myself a spreadsheet. I said, here, I'm going to make a business model out of this. So here's my column. I'm going to say, here's how many cassette tapes. Here's how many CDs I, that she's bought. Here's how much she pays me for them. And here's how much I have to pay to get them manufactured. And then you do, the, you do the arithmetic, and down at the bottom, you come out with a gross profit for that, that gift shop. And I thought, well, well, that's an interesting, and it's definitely a positive number, and it's, it, it looked good. And I thought, well, here's another entrepreneurial thing that kicked in was, what if I had one gift shop like hers in all 50 states? In other words, if I just had 50 of that, particular business model, what would it look like? So column two in the spreadsheet, column one times 50. You look down at the bottom line number, hmm, well, that's an interesting, really interesting number. Well, let's not get greedy, but let's say I had five gift shops per state. It's a big country. We got lots of gift shops. So five times 50 is 250 gift shops. Column three is column one times 250. Well, I looked down at the bottom and I said, Linda, come over here. Look at this number. You're not going to believe this. The number at the bottom of that column was about three times what I was making at AT&T. So there's when the light bulb, Victor, went off and said, okay, <laughs> I think this is what we've got to do. We got to find these other 249 gift shops around the country to play and sell my music. 
And so I got busy and it took me, it took months and months and months of work to get that done. But you know, Victor, I ended up with over a thousand gift shops all over the whole country playing and selling my music. And so I didn't need the big box stores anymore. I was making more out of the little shops than they ever thought about making. So it was, uh, that was the, uh, in a nutshell, that's how my, my business model went from one song to uh, a whole thousand gift shops playing and selling it. Wow, that's a very interesting story. You know, basically, you were with Linda, you were just driving down in Nashville, you know, Music City. And she says, why don't you do a professional recording? And then, you know, you went around, you went to Music Square on Roy Cuff Place. And you saw this place with a, a water wheel, called the Music Mill. You came across this guy, George Clinton, he took you inside, saw these pictures of all these country music people playing Campbell in Alabama, and he took you on a tour. And then you found out it's $125 an hour, which is, yeah, like you said, 86. That's a lot of money. It's probably <laughs> maybe like $1,000 an hour now. But then he told you there's a place across the street the owner has 15 bucks out, which is definitely a lot more reasonable. And uh, and basically you got in touch with this guy, Gary Prent, who when he played it for you, you just said, this is so amazing. It's the first time you heard someone else play it. And yeah, you got the recording and then you started playing it for all your friends, for everyone. And then it was getting airplay all over the place. And it's interesting. So you, you, you never know, you try something new and there's something you weren't even planning. It was just something she, you know, Linda sent to you and you said, yeah, let's try it. So you, you at least took action, which is very important. A lot of people don't take action on things, and as a result, things will change. But because you took action, all these good things started happening. And a lot of people love listening to it. It was it got a lot of airplane, a bunch of markets, and no one requested selling a bunch of markets like Los Angeles, and, and even in the country of Australia. So <laughs> yeah. So now you just say, hey, you saw some potential here, and you see this with the entrepreneurial thing, and then you start thinking, about, how can I get this to more people? And then, like you said, unfortunately, a lot of the big stores at the time. I definitely remember Tower Records because I bought a lot of CDs there before <laughs> yeah. I went bankrupt. No, but a lot of them, you know, did not, you know, would, you know, they said no. And for a lot of people, that would have just discouraged. Them. They would have just said, "Oh, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be." Um, but you, um, you know, a friend of yours mentioned she had a friend in a gift shop, a lady named Jane. So uh, she gave us, you gave a CD to her to play it, and she said every time she played, people wanted a copy of the CD. So yeah. um, she wanted you to get more copies, which you did. And then uh, she would call you again saying, oh, I ran, I need a lot more. So then you would just drive like every <laughs> week and eventually you wound up selling over a thousand of them. So um, before I could say, I says, how did I feel at the time? You're, you know, you know, the big companies reject you, but in this gift shop, you're getting a lot of this airplay and it, it must have been so encouraging to say, you know what, you know, you know, maybe there is a way here because, you know, maybe the big guys won't appreciate it, but I'm going through the little guys saying, you know, there is a path, there's a way. And like you said, you started creating a spreadsheet, you say, and then you did all these calculations. You say, if I could get it to five gift shops in each state, I get 250, I could be making and doing your calculation. I can make three times as much money as I am at my job. But, you know, was it just like pleasantly surprising when you know Jane kept calling saying, "Man, I need more CDs. Like I can't get up. People, every time people hear, they want to buy it." So and this and this is just your first CD. Obviously, over the years you did more, but was it like pleasantly surprising saying, "Oh wow, this is so beautiful"? You know, and this is in line with what you always because, like you said, you were always around music. Well, another thing happened that kind of reinforced that was the yeah. airplay on the radio had started generating something called fan mail. Now, I had never gotten fan mail in my life before, but people would start 
tracking me down from hearing it on the radio and write me letters. And I would start getting these wonderful letters in the mail explaining how the music had touched these people's lives. And here they didn't know me. They didn't know the background of the song or anything. All they knew was they heard this song and it touched them deep down in their soul. And they went to the trouble to write me and tell me about it. Now that is really affirming, Victor. It is, uh, that's the, that's kind of the affirmation that came to me from all these people. And I ended up getting letters like that from over 50,000 people. I have boxes of letters in my basement here from people. And I, that's what really was the impetus of me writing my book. Chapter 21 of my book is a lot of those stories that I got from people that were telling me, pouring out their heart and soul of how the music touched their life. And that's the t- title of my book, Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel's Song Can Change Your Life. And another thing I know you and I have in common is we have a mutual friend in Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield, he wrote the forward to my book. He was absolutely blown away by Rachel's song. When I met Jack and he, he listened to it and he said, man, I love that song. And he, he still uses Rachel's song at the beginning of some of his seminars to set the mood. And, uh, but he was so encouraging to tell me to keep on pursuing, write, write these stories down. These stories are inspirational and they, they're not just to music people, but to entrepreneurs in general to know and as you know, one of his main things in his the Success Principles book is to take action. Well, I have tried to live up to that through my musical career and journey to take action and encouraging people that if they have a dream or a, a concept or something, don't just sit and think about it all day long. Take some action and, and the good things will happen if you take action. Yeah, definitely. And Jack is definitely a big proponent of that. Take action. Everything changes when you take action. It's, it's what separates the successful people from the unsuccessful. They take action. And if you notice, the last six letters in attraction and satisfaction is action. So, and, and, he, and Jack is a very supportive person. He's supporting so many people. He's helped so many people with their books. He's written forward to him like he's helped with yours. And he's one of, and he's a guy also, uh, uh, he practices what he preaches. I mean, a lot of people don't know. When he and Mark Victor Hansen came out with the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, book in the 1990s, they were rejected by 144 publishers. Now, yeah. the vast majority of people would have just quit, but they they kept saying next, next. They went to the next one. Eventually, someone published it. It became the third best-selling book in the 1990s. The whole book series sold like a half billion copies. And then you know, he eventually moved on to the Success Principles, which is an incredible book on success. I recommend it to Anyone who wants to learn about being successful, yeah, and that's wonderful. He wrote uh, he wrote the forward for your book. That's that's definitely awesome. And you know, and I love because of you know all that you did. Uh, eventually, one thousand gift shots played your music. You know, so you, you got by that, and then because of the airplay, you got a lot of fan mail from people. How much it's such a, and that's gonna be one of the most amazing things. How do all these people saying how the how the music touched their hearts or inspired them. It's one of the most it's one of the greatest feelings. You know, you know, people say you made a difference in their lives. And you're right, it's very affirming. It says, I'm doing the right thing. This is what I should be doing. And um, you know, you get over fifty thousand people reaching out to you. So um <clears throat> you, you just never know, like you, you you follow your dream and then you do these things, and eventually you take action. It may not happen immediately. Like you said, this is like a process that took a number of years. But because you took action, you didn't give up. Things just had a way of working out. 
And it's often not the way you plan on it. You make these plans, but as you probably discovered, you had to make adjustments and tweaks along the way. You take the feedback that was given to you. You say, okay, I got to do this differently. Because you went from the big stores to the little gift shops. You went over to a thousand of them. They had the success. And now you've been doing this now for 40 years. You've, you've been a whole bunch. You've done a whole bunch of albums. Now, so you had a lot of success. So what I like to ask you is for people like entrepreneurs that are getting started, they, they may be struggling right now. They have a dream they want to follow. What advice would you give them as to how they should prevent and what, what things they should try to do and what are some of the things they should avoid? Because, you know, when people get started, they're always making certain mistakes. So what are some of the things they should avoid doing as well? Well, I think one of the things is to avoid trying to depend only on yourself. You can't do it alone. Uh, most businesses in this world uh, may start with an idea from one person, but very quickly that idea goes and you, you, you find a team around you of supporters and people that will basically help you develop that and grow it into something that's workable. And all of us have different skills. Some of us are good with numbers and some people are not good with numbers. And some good people are good at sales and some people are not so good with sales. So you, it takes all kinds to make a, an enterprise go. And so my advice to people as they begin is not to try to do everything all on your own, but begin to gather around you people who will support you and your ideas and fill in those gaps of what skills that you may or may not have and so that you can grow it and don't be afraid to make a mistake. I always look on a mistake as, well, that's just one other way I know it won't work. <laughs> you don't make that mistake again. So it, you don't hesitate to take action and be afraid to make any mistakes. You'll make your mistakes, but hopefully you'll learn from them and go on and grow from that point on. Well, good. Definitely some good stuff there. And I agree. You can't do it by yourself because you're just going to get overwhelmed and like you said, there are certain things you're not good at. So you get a team to work with you. You focus on the things that you're good at and just do that. And the things you're not good at, you delegate it to other people. You outsource it. We get assistance. You get a team, have to focus on it. I know Jack's not good at numbers. That's why he has an accountant. And he's like, happy to do that. <laughs> I took care of it. I'll, I'll run the courses. I'll do all the, uh, I'll, I'll handle the events. I'll do the talking. And, but that's that's what you should do. Focus on the things you're good at and the things you're not so good at. The other people that are good at that and they love to do it, and everyone's happy. So definitely some really yeah. good advice. Like I said, everyone has different skills. You don't have to be, you know, because if you try to do everything by yourself, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're more likely to give up. And that's one of the major causes of failure. Like you said, try and do everything by yourself. So I thought it was very, uh, very good you pointed out. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. I, 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 and that is so true. So many people are afraid to make mistakes, which is why they don't take action. And because they don't take action, nothing changes. Their lives remain the same. And this thing, you take action, you can get something out there, whether it's, a, like you said, like music, your music or a book or a course that can change someone's life. Yeah, and you can always make adjustments. Like you write a book, okay, you can always do a second edition. You can make adjustments. You can you, you update it. But get it out because you never know whose lives you can inspire and change. And, and you know, like you said, you learn from your mistakes, you get the feedback, and that's how you get better at this. But if you never take action, nothing will ever change for you. And don't be afraid to make the mistakes. Uh, and maybe it's, maybe it's what we learn in school and maybe it's some of the corporate jobs because you get penalized if you make mistakes so people are afraid to take those chances. But that's how you learn. Like Thomas Edison said, 
And I haven't, I haven't thought, just found, you know, what 10,000 ways how not to do it. And that's that's what you do. That's how you learn. <laughs> One of the acronyms, uh, Dave, I learned for fail was first attempt at learning. So that that's how you learn, by trying. If you don't try, you never learn. So definitely some really good advice here. Um, one question I want to ask is, uh, you know, things have changed so much from when you first got started. So, you know, everything was analog back then. And now everything over the last 10, 15 years becomes so, you know, digitized. You know, you know, people, you know, everything's on the computer. You have the MP3s, the digital streaming. How has that, you know, the, the, the change of digital streaming, how has that changed the way, you know, you... Uh, do your music and do your music business from the way from say how you did it 10 15 years ago because i'm sure it's, it's some it must have changed in some ways for you right well it's dramatically changed as you can see i i came from the era of cassette tapes then cd's and then in the 90s the cd's were really big and then late at 90s the internet came around and MP, MP3 files, everything went digital. And then Napster came along and stole all of our music. You may remember that where they were yeah. giving away everybody's uh, intellectual property. Well, that just about killed the music industry. And fortunately that got turned around after a couple of years with some lawsuits and whatever. And Apple came along with iTunes and started their selling of downloads of music for 99 cents a song. Well. It, you know, I used to buy a CD for 15 bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty good margin on a, on a, on a CD that you only cost a dollar to make it. You sell it for 15. That's a pretty good profit margin. Well, suddenly you go to selling music, a download for a dollar, 99 cents for a dollar. And the musician may have gotten, I don't know, 65, 70, 70 cents a song out of that. And, and then all that went on for, for a number of years. And then we introduced streaming, which is basically, you didn't even download it anymore. Uh, Pandora came along and Spotify and all these streaming media. You basically just tell the your streaming media, I want to play Rachel's song by Gary Prem. And next thing you know, there it is playing right on your, your speaker. And, uh, but, the, but the business model for that drastically changed. I, for me to make one penny of royalty from, a, a, from the streaming of my music, one of my songs has to stream five times for me to get one penny of royalty. One penny, 0.2 cents per, per stream. Well, now you do the math on that and think, wow, there's got to be millions of times to play something for you to make any kind of a living off of streaming. And that's the big problem with today's music business is that the we don't have a physical product to sell anymore cassette tapes are gone cds are on their way out uh, we do have some resurgence of some vinyl coming back but that's not going to be a mainstream thing i don't think so we don't have a physical product they even take they've even taken the cd players out of cars you can't even buy a car that'll play a cd so what if you don't have a physical product to sell how are you going to make a living as a musician selling your music so that is the real conundrum and uh, so that is what we are all us musicians are struggling with because there's there, we've got to find other ways to generate income from the music products that we create and that's the challenge oh, interesting now thanks for sharing that i was not aware of that that um your song has to play five times now to get a penny so obviously to make decent money you got to get like you said like millions of 
you know, you know, times, you know, to, to for it to stream. So it's definitely a big challenge for the music industry now. And like you said, it was much different back then. We had cassettes and the CDs. And then even after Napster, you know, they got rid of, thankfully they got rid of Napster and then you're able to sell yourself for 99 cents a song, got maybe 60 to 70 cents for it. But now the digital streaming has definitely um, uh, raised a big challenge. So uh, that's definitely interesting to know. And thanks for sharing that. And as we're coming toward the end of our interview, Dave, it's definitely, I uh, love all the great things you shared. Are there any last minute tips of advice you'd like to share with our audience, whether they want to get involved in music or become entrepreneurs that you, know, you want to recommend to them? Well, I, I, I love music and I love musicians and the creative side of things. And so if you're a, if you're a musician and you're a songwriter or whatever, keep writing and keep creating. And I know we will solve the problem of how do we get that our creations out to the masses. But uh, don't ever give up on uh, creating and playing music. I know it's been taken out of our schools a lot. We don't even have music in the schools much anymore. And uh, it's that's disheartening. But if you're a, a musician, keep at it. Keep creating and uh, sharing your gifts. And sooner or later, we'll find a way to crack this nut. I like that. I really do. You know, don't give up. Keep writing. Keep creating. You know, you you guys will figure out a way, and I'm sure you guys will figure something out, and I'll just come up with something really good to help all the musicians in this industry. We need good music. We we need to have musicians creating music. It's one of the best things for society. So I agree. Keep at it. Something good will come up. You know, whether it's this year, next year, it'll eventually something new will pop up because there's so many things being created. So I love that. Don't give up. Keep creating. Keep working at it. Everything will work out in the end. Thank you so much. Listen, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great wisdom. I loved your stories. I loved all the great uh, advice you shared and, and definitely a lot of great value. So, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And if people want to get in touch with you, Dave, what is the best way for them to contact you? Well, if you want to go to my website, that's uh, an easy way to get to me is through combsmusic.com, C-O-M-B-S music.com. On my website page, you'll see a picture of my book on the left side, and on the right side is a picture of my CD cover of Rachel's song. And in the middle of my home page, there's a link that says Play Rachel's Song. And it's free. It's the entire song. It's un unedited, un un not remastered. It's the original demo recording. Click on that, and you'll be listening to it. Or if you're like most people and you're just wanting to uh, stream the music, just tell whoever your streaming platform is to tell them to stream Play Rachel's Song by Gary Prim. And sure enough, in a few minutes or seconds, you're, you'll be hearing Rachel's Song on your, your speakers or your headphones or whatever it is. But go through your streaming and just listen to my music. And it's, I've got 170 plus songs out there, so you'll be entertained for quite a while. Awesome. All right, Dave, thanks again. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you. Appreciate it, Victor. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.